Do not confuse this with treatment or mental health advice or direction. Nothing on this podcast is made to supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your mental health caretakers. Although David Kozlowski is a licensed marriage and family therapist, he is not functioning as a certified mental health professional in this environment. But same applies to any professionals who may appear on the Light the Fight podcast. Everybody, welcome to another episode of Light the Fight. I'm David. And I'm Heidi. If you're new to our podcast, um, thanks for joining us. We've been here for maybe a couple of weeks now. Going on three weeks. At least, at least. Going on three weeks. It feels like it's been three years. Oh, wait. It is three years. In fact, we're so excited about the three years. We're going to be having a three-year anniversary coming up in less than one month from now. We're going to be announcing a lot of cool things. But until then, Heidi, let's forget about three years. How was your day, Heidi? How you, you know, doing? I am good. You know how they, you know how those life coaches tell you that you shouldn't attach your well-being to your productivity. I've never heard that. Continue. Yeah. Well, I don't. I can't disassociate it. <laughs> <laughs> so I can try as I might, but I only, I honestly only feel good when I'm actually getting crap done. So it's that whole suggestion is lost on. Well, you know, we did have an episode that talked a lot about you last week. Hustle Heidi. Yes, that's true. That's true. Still, it's still culture. a problem. <laughs> well, thank you so. guys for, for joining us on this week's episode rendition of Light the Fight. And like always, we're going to be talking about feelings, relationships. Yeah. Yes. And we got some questions to answer. We're excited to do our first uh, public speaking event like we talked about last episode. Uh, here in Lehigh, Utah, and that was a great uh, experience. We're we're I didn't think we we're that rusty, to be honest with you, Heidi. I felt like we still had a uh, some little bit of gas in the gas tank, and we were motored on quite a, quite well. You know what was great about it was that we haven't I hadn't reviewed the presentation for a long time, so um, I did in fact prepare for the evening. So that was probably that was a good idea. So you had to relearn um, what shame meant. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I did. I, I remembered. Um, but as we were talking and just going through the whole thing, um, it's been a long time since we just talked about those fundamentals. Like that, that presentation is like the step one. It is the fundamental. It is the, it is the core. And it's the intro 101. <laughs> I just remembered it's so good. It's so important. And I can just remember when that core part was so hard for me. And, you know, okay, so just listeners, here, here's the scenario. We're going to the school to do this um, Don't Freak Out event. That's the name of it. Are you going to okay. tell them about my I'm going to. School? I have to. Oh, I have gosh. to because it's so classic. Oh, and I leave my house with, I'm planning to be a half an hour early, right? So I leave my house and I start noticing that like the Google Maps is lighting up and telling me that, that you know, all of the routes are congested and I can look up in the distance and I can, from where I am, I can see up on the freeway that it is just like sirens. You, I just see flashing lights all along the freeway. And my Google Maps is telling me I'm going to get there like five minutes before it started. So I planned on getting there half an hour early. And it's telling me I'm going to get there like five minutes before it's going to start. And um, 
I'm kind of bummed, but I'm, you know, I'm kind of in my own world. I'm going over the presentation in my mind. I'm kind of remembering what it was like to be like Heidi before Don't Freak Out events. And um, it was kind of just really in a very prayerful meditative state all the way. And I actually was kind of happy to have an extra half an hour in the car by myself. Moms, you know what I'm talking about. Well, I get there and um, no, David, Brandon's there. Everything's set up. We're all good to go. We're on track. But in my defense, it's usually the opposite. It's true. It's true. <laughs> Usually David's the one there going, did you bring the cords? What's happening? <laughs> like, oh, wait, Brandon's out here. Heidi's out here. I'm Brandon's forgotten the SD card. We don't have the yeah. right plug. You know, it's all the things. Brandon was on it. Heidi and... turned around and drove home and didn't tell us. <laughs> and then we had to convince her to come back to the. So we get a text from David and he's like, my Google Maps is telling me I'm not going to be there until 15 minutes after it's supposed to start. And you can just tell, I mean, there was like 20s. I think there was like a bunch of, of spelling errors and, you know, swear words that weren't supposed to actually get picked up on the. <laughs> mm, yeah. No, so David was stuck in all of those flashing lights that I was telling you about. And, and you guys, it was, did you hear what happened, honey? It was bad. Well, an I know they had to land. An eight-year-old, an eight-year-old died and got brought back to life by an emergency crew that just happened to be behind them when the accident happened. Like it was a huge story. Like oh, really? she was, she was pro- I think it was, I think it was girl, young girl, an eight year old was pronounced dead, like dead. Luckily there's emergency crew that just happened to be working, got off work and was leaving. was right behind them, resuscitated and brought her back to life. So, wow. and that was one of three actions that took place all in that same time period. Well, I know they had landed a helicopter on the freeway and shut everything yeah. down. And so here's how this went down. We actually started the event without David being there with me flying solo, which you guys, you, if you never know us, it's not a good idea. <laughs> it never happens. But then we usually, walk, comes... we usually walk up on stage with oxygen, giving it to Heidi. That's right. Before That's she starts right. talking. I am never calm. David walks up and he's just like eyes big as saucers, just stressed out, sweating and um, breathing heavy. And actually like to my credit here, I'm telling you is that I didn't have any anxiety going into this event. I felt completely calm, um, which for those of you who know me at all is a far cry from where we started. and so that was great, right? We we had a great event. It was a pleasure to be there. It was um, a wonderful day. I think that it was a, an, an important day, actually, for us to be at that school that day. And um, that school had a rough day, too, that day. The school had a rough day. Yeah, they, they had a rough, rough day. So every everything that could have possibly went wrong to stop this event from happening or to go well at all happened and it still went well. So glad so everybody's was safe good. from the accidents and glad that we got it all in, got the first one under our belt with plenty more to go. I will tell you that even though it went so beautifully in the end, once David got there, he was, he was great. No problem though. Um, even though it 
it felt so good. And I knew like that information is so good. And I'm so thankful to be able to share it. I woke up in the morning the next day with like the biggest pit in my stomach slapped again with that same vulnerability hangover. And what is just, (laughs) for those of you who are new, a vulnerability hangover is what happens after you're vulnerable. Like it's, just a little vulnerable or a lot vulnerable? Well, it it's proportional. It's got it's a ratio equation, apparently. <laughs> so the more vulnerable you are in, in sharing or putting something out there or being honest with yourself or others or facing your fears. Um, sometime after that, the regret and the shame wants to, it just comes running after you. It's like, oh no, you don't, not, that, not so fast. And it wants to just climb back on. And, um, and it had been a long time since I had like bad dreams and, uh, so that's how I know that it's, it's still what we're supposed to be doing. That's how I know that it's still important for me to address what, what happened in our family, what, what the things that I've learned. And, um, it's that tribute that you can't, can't outrun the vulnerability hangover. Well, thanks for sharing that, Heidi. And um, yeah, got that one out of the way. We got one coming up tomorrow night. Yes. For uh, Portland, Oregon. And so we're really excited about that one. And in the meantime, uh, we were talking about something before the podcast started. I wanted you to kind of weigh in on this, Heidi, because I had heard about this, but I didn't get all the details. So thanks for filling me in. But we're going to call this Heidi's Hot Topic, right? So you guys know in our podcast, Heidi will bring up some things and it sounds like a little bit at first, like it's just something that she heard in the wind and something she picked up on. No, it's something that she was like, wait a second, Heidi has a hot topic. It's something that her (laughs) radar was like, wait, this is ridiculous. Or this is something powerful, inspirational, whatever it may be. So Heidi, why don't you give us the hot topic, hot take, Heidi's hot topic take right now. All right. Well, if, in case you've been living under a rock, um, a couple days hey, ago. I didn't know about this and I'm not. So David rock, is, so. yes, you were, you were living <laughs> under, under a high school teacher and counselor. Yeah. You've been living under a rock, David, for sure. You're not even That's on social true. media. So you're under a rock. That's sure. true. Technically you're right. Okay. Continue. <laughs> okay. So a couple days ago, um, from when we're recording this, Oprah did a bombshell interview. I believe that's what they're calling it mm. with Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, his wife who have, um, as everybody knows, left the Royal family, left their roles as Royals and moved across the pond. You know, they don't ever do news specials on people that leave the rotten family. Cause that the <laughs> no. news would be full. 
News would be full of people leaving their rotten families. There's a lot of those happening. It was continue. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, okay. So here's the thing. I'm not like this big royal like follower. I don't. Some people are really into that though. Some people are uh, super And I know a lot that. of people who are and I just am not. I mean, I kind of like see the cover of the People magazine when I'm going through the grocery store. I mean, I'm just not really super into it. But um, I will admit I watched seven seasons of Suits. And so Meghan Markle is, I'm a fan. And when she decided to get married, I, my ears perked up a little bit. And certainly over this course of them um, leaving, exiting the Royal family, I, you know, I think everybody's like, what in the world is going on there? Like who hates being royal? Who would leave a Royal family? Right. Who, who would be mad about that? You know, and um, I actually missed the interview. So I did not watch the full interview. But the next day, I was getting tagged in and I saw a bunch of memes um, about Megan admitting that she had um, become suicidal or having suicidal thoughts while she was. A royal or in in this um situation now so i got curious because i want to read you i'm just going to go ahead and read you the meme that i saw because it was it was kind of triggered kind of intriguing to me so here it is Meghan Markle probably isn't going to see your negative comments saying you don't believe that she was suicidal, but your friends and family who have been suicidal in the past will, and they'll never come to you for help. Don't be that person. So I saw that meme actually cir circulating a lot of times, which then made me curious, right? So I got on YouTube and I watched like a whole bunch of highlights of the interview. And in fact, um, it was just good to see Oprah interviewing again for one thing. Cause I, I'm yeah, yeah. It's been a minute. Um, Megan kind of paints this picture, tells this story and, and about after she's had her child and the circumstances and the role um, where she has been told that she can't go and come as she pleases. She can't hang out with her friends. She's being told where she can go and what she can do and what she can wear. And you know, all these things, like there's a lot of rules and stipulations. And of course, this is a big change from the life that she led pre Harry. Um, so she goes on to say that during this time, she just quote, didn't want to be alive anymore were the words that she was using. She was miserable. She was isolated. She was lonely. She didn't like what things were looking like. She didn't like how she was being treated and she didn't see a way out. Um, she, at this, she, she mentioned this, that this was a time that she, after her son had been born. So there's a good chance maybe that she was having some post uh, partum could be, could be, I mean, a lot of things when you transition to being a mom, <laughs> you, 
you know, it's, it's hard. And um, certainly if you don't have your support system or the people who are supposed to be supporting you aren't helping you. Um, so as I was listening to this and here's this like extraordinarily beautiful girl. And I've been watching her, first of all, on Suits. She's fantastic, right? And she's young and a great actress. And she had this great career. And then she hops on over and she's a princess and she's doing all these things. And, and I caught myself thinking for a second, wow, how could Meghan Markle, this beautiful, wealthy, talented, famous human be suicidal? Like, what? Yeah, what you does know? she have to be suicidal yeah. about? It, she's got the perfect life. She's a, so bad a about your princess. Life. She's a right. princess. People will call um, someone and say, gosh, you're such a princess. They must want to die. Right. I mean, honestly, just... No one, no one says that. And and I'm I would imagine that maybe I wasn't the only one that was having thoughts like that. Like, oh, you're just going to come on here and bash the tradition, you, you know, whatever. I don't, I don't really know. Well, so, and also too, you're very protective of that of that suicide. Like, you don't want people throwing that around all loosey goosey. Right. Right. You've got to take this seriously, right? Yeah. So yeah. then, so then there's a point in the interview. Um, again, I'm seeing highlights when Harry comes on and they're interviewing Harry, not they, Oprah. And she's, yeah. and Harry says these words. It was, he just didn't want history to repeat itself meaning what happened with his mother. And so I had a day of video editing and um, photography. And just so everybody knows, whether you're into conspiracy theories or not, <laughs> it's still, there's still a lot of unanswered questions about the, the death of Princess Diana. A lot of people scratch their heads, go, hmm. Yeah, that's like the Epstein death. You're like, hmm, really? Like when I say I like it, I'm not saying they're the same. I'm saying though there are certain types of deaths of people like, so they just died just like that. Like her, I think what it was like her limo driver was drunk. Really? Like that doesn't make sense. Like you're just letting the princess being drove around by a drunk. Nobody. I mean, just, there's a lot of holes to that story that I, from what I can remember. So. Well, and just the drama. Yeah. And the paparazzi thing. everything, All like. the things that were going on. Well, Okay, so today, while I was in my six, seven, eight hours of, of editing, I just had on YouTube and I just was listening. You know how it just serves you up stuff. And um, I wound up watching a bunch of interviews of Princess Diana talking about feelings of isolation, not being heard, not getting support, feelings of being suicidal. And just not wanting to live like that. And um, there's no doubt that Prince Harry has watched 
those interviews has heard either publicly and or privately his mom talk about that. And um, there is no doubt that when Harry started hearing his beautiful wife, mother of his child, start to express these things to him, that a red flag must have gone up so fast and he just was not going to mess with it. Like if anybody thought like, why would Harry walk away from all of that? I don't know all the reasons, but I'll bet you that that red flag was a, was one of them because I will tell you what I was that person that when you look at my son, Corey, and, you know, I'll talk about this. I'll say he just got a truck for his birthday. He had a brand new skateboard. It was only a week old. He had tons of friends. He had a job that he liked. You know, he was a good looking, talented, fun kid. What would he have to be so not wanting? to live. And yet when I hear certain words and phrases and see certain uh, behaviors, man, that red flag goes up and I do not mess with it. And so I think the reason why I wanted to bring this up, why this is a hot topic is because I don't think that anybody sits on any interview and talks about being suicidal because they want attention because they think it's they'll get empathy or that somebody will listen. I mean, and and maybe somebody does. Well, it's it's not likely even in today's world. If somebody is struggling, if somebody tells you they don't want to be around. Things would be better off without them. Slam on the brakes and make changes. And I don't know, bravo to Prince Harry, to, to both of them for saying we can't do this and for making changes big, like earth shattering changes really. Um, and and just like I've said before here on this podcast, it's not one thing, it's a hundred things. And in their case, there's certainly many, many things that were weighing down on their situation, but I'm very thankful for people like Megan and Harry, Harry to sit there across from Oprah and be honest about that tender, about that difficult, about that personal and vulnerable of thoughts and feelings because I'm sure that I'm not the only one that thought what does Meghan Markle have to be sad about? You know? And so I just, I don't know. I guess my takeaway, the, the, the hot topic, the thing that I want everyone to remember is that no one is immune. That people need their people. We need connection. And David has said this 
a lot of times, and this has made a big impact on me in my life, is that we all have real hard things that we have to face. It's all different. Everybody has something different. But if you have somebody that you're connected to and that supports you, you can get through anything as long as you have a real connection somewhere. Yeah, you know, I, I think of uh, all the young people that I've helped throughout the years that came from affluent families, had some sort of just advantage in life, right? They just, you know, their parents are rich or maybe there's naturally good looking, they're talented, great athlete, singer, dancer, whatever, just had something that the spotlight was always going to shine on them. Their family, um, not because, you know, I mean, not saying these are bad families, but their families we're able to provide them with many luxuries that other people from the outside would envy. And when helping those kids and those young people, um, I, I often found myself feeling like even worse for those kids because it was difficult for them to find something in their life that they could point to that they could say, this is why I'm depressed. This is why I'm anxious. This is why I have low self-esteem. Because with all their best attempts to describe their situation, it always sounded very petty. It always sounded very small because if you compared it to the amazing um, advantages and blessings and, and you, know, you know, things that they had, you know, um, a, a leg up on most people, when you compared to all those things, it would seem as if like, well, I know you're struggling because your boyfriend broke up with you but look how many friends you have. Look how many people wish they could be you. Look how many people wish they had a car, a home, or, you know, all the nice things that you have. And so for people that young people that I talked to, it was kind of this weird position where it's like, okay, because on the outside, it looks like everything's going in my, in my way. Not only should I not be struggling, I should be killing it. I should be ahead of the curve. I should be above and beyond everyone else. So now I'm in a position where not only am I failing because I feel like I, something's wrong with me with no real valid reason for it being wrong, I'm actually supposed to be over the top, not under. And those young people, a lot of times had a hard time opening up and talking about it to myself, to their family members, their friends. And it all came down to one basic thing, the fear of how stupid they would look complaining about a life other people would die for it's like they feel like they want to die from a life that other people wish that they had and so you don't feel like you get a lot of pity and a lot of sympathy you're saying you know oh my gosh my life's so horrible my family we took another vacation to a tropical island you know my tan's right. fading away you know like you know i only have 10 people that want to take me to the dance you know like how are you supposed to right. complain about all this stuff but yeah. underneath all that just like with uh with the prince just underneath all that the pressure that you have to maintain or to sustain that level of expectations almost is like a part-time job and then you find yourself saying and i'm speaking for the kids that i've talked to then you find yourself saying i'm fine it's okay i'm doing good and just playing whatever role you need to play one there's the fear that you won't get acceptance people won't take you serious the other fear is that people will laugh at you like what do you have to complain about and then the third part is that even if you do get the ear of people, even if they are listening to what to you say, like what could their answer possibly be? 
like these people, when you're talking about a young person and this young person is talking about their struggles, depression, anxiety, suicide, addictions, difficult things, they feel at, at a loss of words. How do I describe what I'm going through with no real actual proof to validate what I'm going through? Now, every kid that's ever opened up to me, ever to open up the sport groups I've held, um, their friends, and, and, and you know, taking you know, the suggestions I've given them, these kids find themselves that their parents and their friends and people around them are far more understanding than they gave them credit for. But that initial barrier to not say anything, that's deep. That's really hard to get someone to come out and say something. So, which is why I'm not surprised at all, Heidi, why you're so happy that she said something. And then why he was, you're so happy that he was like, man, I saw this going on with my mom. Because I don't think there's any greater status. There's one thing to say, hey, listen, I'm a successful actor and, you know, I'm a Hollywood superstar. But you may be first generation person that's ever made over a hundred grand in your family. <laughs> you could come from a low privileged family, become a professional athlete, or get lucky as an actor and actress, and the next thing you know, you're, you're doing amazing. But this family, when they're saying they're the royals, they're talking about bloodline. They're talking about history and generations of we have a certain IQ, we have a certain expectation. So when you talk about people who come from a bloodline, not only are you expected to be great, if you're not great, that's an extreme disappointment. Like anything below great is just like does not compute, just doesn't make sense. Well, let's be let's be honest here, maybe too honest. You know, when you talk about Utah being the leading state for teenage suicide in the world. Okay, the Wasatch Front having the the most suicides of teenage suicides. Well, now that, that and yeah, no, continue. That that statistic is always changing depending on who you ask. Well, and, yes, yeah, but no, you're right. We're, and, we're in the top five. Always in the top five, unfortunately. And always I and I know. But, but I get your point. You, you look around like you look around at Utah and like what's we don't we don't really have like it, it's exactly what you're talking about. You've got a bunch of privileged kids, you, you know, a bunch of families who um, are industrious. You, you've got more married parent families. You, you know. You kind of, All the things that should equal good statistics and low depression. Right. And I'm, try, I'm, try, I'm trying not to. I'm trying to not be like politically incorrect. I'm really bad at that. Like if you actually know me, I'm really not good at it. But I got to be careful, right? I don't want to be. So basically, so basically, what you're saying is Utah <laughs> on paper should be at the low five percent of the country yeah. in things like depression, anxiety, and suicide for young adults. Yeah, it just doesn't compute. They check all the boxes of families and all this different types of stuff. You know, higher socioeconomic status, you know, stuff like that. Right. And so to me, it is exactly what you what you talk about. The expectations are high. We, you know, these maybe people are around here really trained to put on a face, put on um, put on an image and stick to it no matter what's going on on the inside. And I know I've been there. 
Um, and I think I, you know, projected that on my kids. I wanted that for my family too. Um, and I think that we're all getting a lot better at talking about this stuff. We, we really are. You're seeing it around in a lot of places. And I'm just really, really thankful for that. Um, but I appreciate what you said, David. I, I hope that those of you who are listening will really like step back and look at your own kids, the people around you and recognize that there is pressure to be great. And when you feel like you're only a 99 out of 100, you know, that 1% sometimes feels like may as well just have a big fat F, you know, you know, it, it really does um, just feel like if you're not 100%, then it's not good enough. And um, we've got to make more room. We've got to make more room for not being perfect, not having everything perfect, not having everything look perfect and feel perfect. Talking about. Which, what, yeah. Which is why we love answering questions. We love you guys feedback here on the podcast. Um, the, that room that Heidi's talking about, when it comes down to the nuts and bolts, it's you guys having the skills, the ability, the words, the vernacular to say what's needed at certain moments. Trying to think on the fly and trying to come up with and reinvent the wheel of how to handle these new school problems when you're raising your kids. That's not the best way to have success to just kind of play it by ear and see what happens. You know, listening to our podcast, reading good books, and you know, listening to other good podcasts out there is definitely going to give you more creative ideas how to operate on the fly, but most importantly, how to plan ahead for these circumstances to come up. So we've been very thankful when we talked to Lehigh to get some questions and have some people email us in some questions. So we took a handful of those questions. We're going to answer them right now because in order to open up those communication lines and have you guys as parents be equipped to handle the situation with your kids, we want to take the handful of different experiences and give you guys some ideas of how to handle this so that when you're in those situations, or if your friend is in those situations, you have on deck, ready to go, some good, strong, solid things to say to show support and to keep those lines of communication open. Because when people have more trusted friends and family members in their life, to open up and talk to, they're going to talk about the smaller things. And when it gets to the bigger things, they're going to have more practice and more ability to do so. And for all you loyal listeners out there, if you slacked off on doing your highs, lows, and who knows at the dinner table with your kids, yeah, get on, get, yeah, get on back to the now. <laughs> so tell you what, I got a testimony that I could bear in a court of law, say, your honor, the highs and lows work. Every time you do them, they work. The more chances you give your kids to talk about their day, what the highs, what the lows were in their, in their day, and the things they're not unsure about, they're getting reps and they're getting opportunities to dust off all their thoughts, feelings, and emotions, go through them. So when things get really difficult, they're not rusty. They know how to talk about it. David, it seems like your kids really like doing the highs and lows. Love it. We did it a family. Uh, we went to my brother-in-law's house the other day for uh, dinner and they're sitting at the kid's table. My son's like, let's do the highs and lows. And all the other kids looked at him like, oh, what? <laughs> and so they explained how to do it, do it. And they all went around the table and they all talked about it. And, you know, I'm not going to point out any names or anything, but there's a couple of people there that 
were re- they had a really hard time doing it. They kept on passing. They waited at the very end. And when they did it at the very end, you could tell it felt good for them to do it. But you could tell they're like, wait, I'm supposed to talk about my intimate thoughts and feelings in front of a table with other people. This is nerve wracking. It's uncomfortable. But when they did it, you could see the sense of relief. So give your kids the reps that they need. Do highs and lows. Make sure you go first so that they understand how it works. And after your kids share their highs and lows of their day, you don't use that information to try to interrogate them to get more information about personal things you want to know about their day. It's almost like it's 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 like this sanctuary. It's completely safe at the dinner table. And they say hi and lows. You don't come back later and say, so that low. So I thought you weren't hanging out with her anymore. So what's going on? Don't prob and poke and try to get more details out of your kids. Otherwise, they're <laughs> going to stop doing it at the dinner table. Okay, Question David, I've got, I've got a couple questions here for you. Let's do it. I'm going to start out with... Fire as possible. Okay, rapid fire. I'm going to start out with addressing um, a statements versus questions. So in our Don't Freak Out, we do talk about statements versus questions. Um, it's always, as you know, a, a, a challenge. It used to be an extreme challenge for me. I'm getting much better. But here is the question in reference to that. Here it goes. Okay. How do you address failing grades or missing assignments without asking questions? Well, the answer is partly in there. Well, first of all, thank you for whoever sent in that question. And the answer is you have to use statements. But the statements, as Heidi knows, just don't come off the tip of the tongue when you're, I like how they put, in addressing grades. Okay. Translation, in addressing grades means the grades aren't what you think they should be. You've probably warned them plenty of times. You're trying to get to that point where you don't want to be that parent the last week of school telling their kid, your kid they can't do anything. They're, they're almost in trouble, even though they're not, because they put themselves in purgatory by not doing missing assignments, what have you. You don't want to be that parent that's like, I told you so. And if you don't get bad, if you don't get good grades, now I have to drive you around when you have your own license. Like there's a lot of things that if your kids don't do, it really influences your freedom as a parent and makes your life a lot harder if you got to be the, the hard person and the tough person to ground them. So plus you're worried you they're this? never gonna move out of your basement. Plus, you're worried they're never gonna move out of your basement. And <laughs> never Heidi gonna get can a tell you, Heidi can tell you that is just that. It's a worry. It's cute, right? It's just one of those things you worry about. In the long run, it doesn't mean anything. So back to the question. How do you address grades without asking questions? Always, with 1,000% confidence, you give them the benefit of the doubt. So the first step is you got to give them the benefit of the doubt. Here's how the benefit of the doubt works. Man, I know it's getting late in the quarter, and I know... You've sworn you're not going to have the same thing happen in the past. We're putting off everything to the last minute. So, and I trust that if you need help with anything in regards to your grades, and this is the time where you can kind of do a subtle wink, wink at them. I'm right here to help you because I trust that you're not going to repeat what happened last quarter because you've learned your lesson. Now you don't say it sarcastically. You say it with a surety, like you've learned your lesson. And then you walk away from that not conversation statement. So if you take about what I just said, that's not a conversation with your kids. That's a walk away dropping like, you know, when a, when a, a person's up at a bat in, in baseball and they hit, they hit the baseball, it's obviously going out of the park. It's a home run. To so anyone that's used to hitting a home run, right when they hit it, they know it's gone. They just drop the bat 
and they just start walking, right? It's called a walk-off homer, right? When you have the bases loaded, everything's down, and you just nail it perfectly, you just walk away. There's nothing else to say. You don't have to be in a hurry to ask them for well, what's going on. Like, do, are you are you doing everything? Did you talk to that teacher? Do this? Did you do that? No. The very first step is you do the walk away statement. You give them the benefit of the doubt. That's the first one. Parents out there that are listening to this, you don't get to get all your licks in and all your complaints and all your fears and worries in one freaking conversation because that's not going to be a conversation. That's going to be an argument. You try to pile up every single thing that you're worried about one time, it ain't going to work. Instead, you want to take a staggering effect. The first time, even put on your cell phone, Siri, on Monday, give them the benefit of the doubt and tell them how confident, wink, wink, a couple of wink emojis in there, that I am they're not going to repeat last quarter's cramming or grades. On Thursday, Siri, set an alarm on Thursday to go and remind them if they need any help from you, to please do not hesitate because you'd rather help them now than the last hour before the end of the quarter. <laughs> then on Sunday, Siri, remind me to tell them, hey, listen, I know it's getting the end of the quarter and I know I've given you some, you know, some, some reminders. I just want to let you know, I got your back. I will help you in this. Because the last thing I want to do is for you to lose your phone, for you to lose privileges with your friends because then you can't enjoy this time in your in your high school experience. I know you want to enjoy this. So please use me as a resource. Take advantage of me, your brother, your sister, your dad, whoever the resources are in your family, tell them to take advantage of. So if you look at this, if that's a Monday, a Thursday, and a Sunday, you set this up for one week. Now, once that week is done, let's say you're into two or three weeks left in the quarter, then you can just tell them, hey, listen, I'm here for you. Please let me help you. But I'm not going to come to you. I know you can come to me. Because last thing I want to do is fight with you about your grades. They're your grades, not mine. Remember, I'm here to help. If you keep on making those statements and you're not trying to save your kids from making the mistake, then what you're going to find yourself in a situation is at the end of the quarter and the grades come out, you can play dumb and naive having no idea, well, I thought you had it all taken care of because you know how every other day I reminded you that I was here for you to help you? I just assume you're taking care of it. You guys, I can't say this with more confidence than, than how I'm going to say it right now. I'd rather your kids fail every single class for a quarter than fail at life. I'd rather them get this experience right now where they're able to learn from their mistakes when the walls of life are padded. It's not your job to threaten them. It's not your job to threaten them and to scare them like the scared straight program and to let them know that, you know, if they don't get their grades and they're not going to get to a good college, it's not going to happen. Guess what? Your kids already know that. And if they're not thinking about that, that's their own damn fault, not yours. It's not like they don't know that they should be worried about those things. They're just tired of being told to be worried about those things. You are just the uber support person. You're showing up, you're telling them. And then if they fail or make, you know, un, you know, the unsatisfactory grades, then you come back and you say, all right, well, last time we, you just promised you weren't going to have bad grades again. Obviously that didn't work out so well. So now we're going to have to come up with a plan because the last thing I want to do is be the reason why you're unhappy. I didn't take your grades away from you. I didn't take your cell phone away from you. 
I'm just the person that's got to be the, the messenger of it. So let's come up with a plan. And that's when you go to David's parenting partnership agreement, either listen to our episodes or spend the 99 bucks and get it, uh, you know, uh, uh, through this, through our website, you know, through, through the website, um, we can put that in, in, um, inside the comments, but all joking aside, you need some sort of a plan, but if you start with warning your kids and threatening them, that's not a plan. That's just you doing the same thing you've always done. Freak out. They get defensive. They react. You guys are arguing, fight about it and nothing changes. Okay. Next question. Also stay calm. <laughs> oh yeah. Stay calm. <laughs> that's the one that I am terrible at every time. I'm getting better. I'm getting better. Okay, here we go. So we have several, several um, questions here that are all kind of dealing with anxiety and depression. Um, so I think we could probably get through a couple of them at the same time. I don't know if we can go into one, but um, one person here is asking just like, how do we even begin to sort through the research on depression medication. Um, this this person is just saying, you know, they're super overwhelmed and frustrated and they don't know what's best. And so any thoughts on medication for depression anxiety? Well, because I'm a licensed therapist, not a licensed medical practitioner, I can't give any, hey, you should try this medication. I can't give any suggestions for what type of medication to try, but I can give people ways that they can educate themselves. Um, from my experience and just totally my opinion, when they use the word uh, practicing medicine, I can't think of a better way to describe practicing medicine when you're trying to find the best antidepressant medication, anti-anxiety medication, medications that help with mood stability, um, medications that are specifically for mental and emotional and psychological, um, difficulties. It's, it's really difficult. Yes. Um, you know, all the years I've had my private practice, I have some people they, they tried medication and boom, right off the bat, they noticed, you know, a, a boost. It, it did exactly what they were hoping it would do with little to no side effects. And they found it to be a great tool to add in with their counseling, their, uh, normal routine you know, physical exercise, you know, getting good sleep, so on and so forth. Now that I wish I could say that was the majority. Um, that's the slight, that, that's the, the minority of people that I've seen throughout the years. They take the first medication, they get it right. It just, it was the missing piece and everything's great. Um, I wish it was that simple. If it was that simple, I mean, you know, the, you know it'd be a whole different, you know, story. Um, I do have the most, the most experience I have with this is where people try different medications, having very, uh, various different side effects. Um, and some of those side effects are just, you know, not worth the medication. So they stop it or they feel like they take it for a little while and then they keep on having to bump it up because, you know, like anything, um, you know, at, at a certain level, you know, you're not going to get the same result from it. And so um, I get a lot of that where people either the medication tapers off, it kind of, it's not as powerful as it was in the beginning, or they just have so many side effects that they just don't, they just don't, you know, it doesn't validate the taking it anymore. Um, now, 
there are a lot of unfortunate people that have no success with medication, no matter what type they try, or at least they haven't found success with it. And they're the people that ask these questions like, you know, how do I figure out the right medication for me? Again, because I'm not a medical professional, I can't give a voice advice on how to do that. Um, but I do tell people to educate yourself on what medication you are wanting and needing and whatever medication you're prescribed and take, take a note of like, what, what was it like for you in the first week? What was it like for you in the second week? What were the side effects? Um, it's so hard, especially if you're struggling with psychological and emotional impairment, it's so hard to remember how things affected you on a normal day, let alone if you're not in the best place, hence need of taking, you know, medication, the people that have taken notes on it and the people that have went back and looked at their notes, they can kind of figure out for themselves, you know, what was, you know, the most effective out of everything they tried. Then they have to take in consideration their age and you know things going on in their life. Are they using drugs or alcohol at the same time? Are they getting very little sleep? Um, are they eating healthy? There's so many things that affect your body and your um, and you know the the benefits or side effects of the medication. It can get really challenging. Now there are a couple of tests out there that um, test to see if the chemical makeup of the medication is good for your body compared to um, other like one medication versus another medication. I've had a couple of people, I can't remember what the name of that test is off the top of my head, but a couple of people said that, you know, it worked amazing for them. And then other people said, yeah, that did nothing for them at all. So I really, I can't say, you know, you know, there's any great way to determine what the medication is for you based upon other people's experiences, which is why it's really important to log and document your own experiences and medication. And this is my opinion, medication is best served as one of the courses in a big main course. Um, you know, I, I, I would never suggest my clients that are on medication to not take care of other things in their life, such as sleep, such as when I say take care of it, it's easier said than done, exercise, sleep. Um, there's so many things in their day-to-day -day life that will identify that medication can help. But for some people, medication does take the edge off of whatever they're going through. And like a normal human being, it's pretty common for people to say, all right, I feel less crappy than I did before I took the medication. Let me just take the medication and I'm just happy and not feeling horrible. Well, not feeling horrible, I don't think is anyone's goal, but I don't blame people for just settling for not feeling horrible. So if you're one of those people who feels that medication is, uh, is good for your situation, make sure that your situation is focusing on the whole entire package, the mental, the emotional, um, you know, and obviously the psychological, um, because just a good walk as Heidi, as you know, a good night's sleep, all those things drastically are going to improve the probability of any medication being more effective. I want to just add, you know, have you ever, here I am with the memes again. Have you ever seen the meme that's like, I didn't, have a cookie for an entire day and my and the next day my pants were still tight you, you know like it's it's kind of like okay i i forewent the cookies for one day hoping that the next day i was gonna lose 10 pounds and be back into my jeans right yeah. um you know when people say and this this was a frustration for me when we were working on with medications um, it was like, okay, well, we're not going to know for 
for four weeks. Like, so you're going to take the medication plan for four weeks. Stomach cramping, dizzy spells, back, right? all these right. side effects for four weeks, but we don't know if it's going to work. <laughs> right. And so I think that just like a diet, if, if, if you want to lose 10 or 15 pounds, you got to give yourself six weeks of doing it every single day. That means going to sleep every single day and eating something decent every single day and getting out in the fresh air every single day and, and taking that medication every single day and talking to someone that you like and looking in their eyes every single day. Like you can't just not do it and then be mad or, or expect it to, to work on itself. And so I really appreciate that Dave um, says you, you have to take it as just one part of, of the equation. I think a lot of us, you know, um, have experienced these emotional changes with COVID. Um, and as we look back over the year, it's been like, okay, I had to realize that I had to go out for a walk. I had to realize that I had to take a bath. I had to realize that I had to you know, we had to make adaptations and then you kind of get yourself going and it, it lifts everything up. So I'm just, I'm just saying, I happen to be on a diet right now. And so, um, that's where <laughs> that, that metaphor <laughs> there you go, there you go. comes from consistency. All right. Do we got one more question there? Yeah, I can give one more here. Um, all right. This is also, um, dealing with some anxiety and depression. My 17 year old was suffering from anxiety depression, which has worsened during COVID. He's supposed to go back to school for hybrid learning. And he says he just has too much anxiety to go back and refuses. He has so many fears. He tells his doctors and counselors he's fine, but he won't go. Um, interesting. Uh, interesting when um, a kid wants to tell you a different story than they tell a doctor or administrator as well. Yeah. Um, well, I think everybody knows you don't get better at things you don't practice and you get better at things you do practice. So for this young man, um, it's obvious that he's getting better at not going to school because he's had a lot of practice at not going to school recently. Does that make sense? Heidi? Yeah. Now, if you guys notice, everybody listening, I didn't say he was a bad young man. I didn't say that he didn't see the value in school. I'm not saying anything negative about him at all. Just looking from an outside perspective, he's getting better at not going to school because he hasn't been going to school. Now, when the opportunity has presented itself for him to go back to school, there's resistance, there's fear, there's worry. And I obviously I don't know all the details, but... There's obviously a fair amount of resistance because he's gotten really good at not going to school amongst whatever other challenges have been making it difficult for him to feel comfortable going to school in the, in the first place, right? Even without knowing any of the details, just by him not going for a while, that's become what I like to call this young man's uncomfortable comfort zone. We can get very comfortable in a bad relationship, in a bad job. And in a bad situation, if that that's so what, if that is what we're used to, and that is not an unknown, we know that, Hey, the person I'm in a relationship with, 
I don't like them, but you know, at least, at least I know them. I know what time they like to wake up in the morning. I know what food they like to eat. Like I got the basics of, I don't have to start anything all over again. I don't have to date again. I'm doing anything again. So I'm just going to stay in my uncomfortable comfort zone. I hear this all the time in different ways, shapes and forms. So with this young man, like I said, not knowing all the background, all the detail, if he's getting better at not going to school, then if he's telling you that he's having all his anxiety and stuff like that, but he's not telling the doctors and he's under 18, well, then you're going to have to tell them because it sounds like he's 17, right? Yeah. Now you need to ask these people to keep this confidential. Just say, I just want to let you guys know, like, this is not the case, right? Figure out exactly what are some options with him, some, some things that would properly motivate him to even try to go to school part-time because it sounds like this is some sort of a learning blended learning situation where hybrid could go back hybrid. Yeah. Hybrid blended learning something. So it sounds like there's an option where he could go a little bit, but you got to sweeten the pot. There's gotta be something that this young man wants that he doesn't ask you for, but you bring this to the table. Any good negotiator has got to be able to identify what the person is motivated by and what they want before you bring something to negotiation. If they want, I've heard this happen before where their kid doesn't want to go to school. Kid doesn't want to do any of these things, but the kid wants all the freedom of an adult and the kid wants to be able to move out on their own very very soon when they're an adult, right? Well, let's stack the deck then. Let's make it a perfect situation for them to move out. But there's a couple of hoops that they got to jump through. One of the hoops may be, in this next quarter, you're going to have to go to school this many times a week. It could be a very slow minimum. It could be like, you know, you know, one class the whole entire week. Now, that may be far below the expectation of the parents, but using this as an example, you'd rather get a win somewhere. And in this situation, just getting your kid to any class would be a win. Start with getting some sort of ground floor, some sort of like baseline for them getting back to school. Because remember, people get better at whatever they're doing, even if that thing is bad for them. So since he's gotten better at not going to school, you set up a couple wins for him, properly motivate him to get him back to school or anyone in this situation. Once you get him back to school, then you want to maintain that consistency for a little while and see when you can add a little bit more on top of that. Because once he gets back to school, regardless what his situation is, if he's been to school before, he can go back to school again. It's just not what he's been used to. Some of the teenagers that, that I come across, they said they hated being in the quarantine, but they're scared to death to go back to school. So it sounds like he's pretty normal, pretty average in that sense. Fear, scared, lying so they don't have to go back to school. Sounds pretty teenagerish to me. The only difference is not to minimize what this parent is saying. The only difference or the, one of the major differences is that he hasn't been going to school at all for a while. And he's really resistant going to school, like willing to actually say, I'm not going to go tell people that, you know, hey, you know, nothing's wrong, nothing's wrong, but there's something wrong with the story. I can't go to school, but I'm totally fine. That's where you, you, you got, you got to, you got to clear, you got to bridge that gap right there. So stack the cards in the deck in your, in your favor, find something to negotiate with them, not to like beg them, like, I'll buy a new video game. If you go to school, that's not a plan. That's a plea. In order to make a plan at it, you're definitely going to want to be able to come to something with the table. It's like, listen, you don't have to go back to school, but since you want this over here, 
you got to go one day a week. You got to do this. And then if you do this this week, then I'll do this for you. Like whatever it is, it's a match for match. It's performance-based. Everything that I talk about in the parenting partnership is performance-based, but you always want to give your kids something up front that they're not deserving of to get them motivated. This is not the you know, lace up your bootstraps and go to work with a brown paper bag type of culture in this, in this group of kids nowadays. Okay. This is like, I want it and I want it now. And if I don't get it now, I'm going to find out better ways to get it myself. So you got to be pretty creative, a parent to bring something to the table. That's going to make them want to partner with you. You guys, anybody out there that's like, kind of feeling super overwhelmed, not making progress with your teenager, check out David's parenting agreement. Um, in fact, if you go to it, oh, David, you got to help me out. Parentingagreement.com. Parenting partnership. Oh, oh PTpartnership.com. So oh yeah. The actual website is ptpartnership.com. We can put it, we can put it in there, but yeah. It's like three and a half hours of just all these different types of videos, the printout, it's so, how to actually do an agreement. I have heard from so many parents who have done this and they're like, we literally did not think we were going to get through high school. And they put these things into place and, and you have to realize that what David is proposing in the parent partnership, parenting partnership agreement is nothing you would ever think of on your own. That is, that is number one. Um, yep. It is, it is absolutely contrary to any of your knee jerk reactions or any way you were ever treated in your entire life, which is why it works. So go check it out if you're in that situation. <laughs> hey, that's why, that's why we, that's why, you know, the argument to, you know, a lot of parents say these kids are soft nowadays, you know, they need to be tough and this and that, and they need to be treated the way I was treated growing up. I'm like, well, if your goal is to make them better than you, I wouldn't treat them exactly the way you were treated growing up. That's right. Evolution, baby. It's happening. That's these right. kids, these kids are so flipping smart. I swear to you. Yesterday, Connor had job shadowing with me. He could probably run my entire business faster, stronger. I mean, he, he, he's like, mom, why are you doing that that way? Do this. I was like, oh my gosh. Okay. Anyway, oh, yeah, this is, yeah. this is what's great about these kids. They are stinking smart Heck and, yeah. and I love it. All right, you guys. Hey, thank you for these questions. Um, if you want to send us a question, please do, please. You can DM it to us at, on Instagram at like the fight. Well, you can send it to our website. Well, for well, now, you for can now, DM yeah, us yeah, and yeah. like the fight and send our website. We got some exciting announcements. We keep on te- keep on teasing them, but to kick off April, we're going to be doing uh, our big three year anniversary, and we're going to be announcing like the fight three so now, guys. Like the fight three For now, you can send them to our email. You can send them to our DM on Instagram. But in the future, we're going to have a way that you can submit questions and guarantee that your questions are going to get answers. Uh, And we've never guaranteed that ever before. So this is a new thing for us. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty exciting stuff, you guys. It's, it's It's worth it. Stick around. So you guys, thank you for listening. Thank you for passing this information on to others. Um, that may also need it. And thank you as always to helping us light the fight.